podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 2nd of December. We are rolling towards Christmas, rolling through the Premier League season, and we have our first cancelled game. Newcastle versus Aston Villa has been cancelled this weekend uh, due to a COVID outbreak at Newcastle. Their training ground is shut. A bunch of their players have it, and a number of staff as well. So hopefully they all make a quick recovery and get back on the field pretty quick. Uh, nice little break, though, for Villa, um, who could probably use it at the moment because their form has been iffy. Of course, we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. Whether you need it for sport or not, you might just want to watch American Netflix. Liberty Shield will give you the opportunity to watch American Netflix. It will also keep your data safe online. Use my code EPLVPN and get yourself 20% off at checkout. So, uh, quite a bit going on. As I said, the the Newcastle Villa game for this Friday has been cancelled. So, we knew at some point this season there was going to be a game or two cancelled due to the pandemic. It's unfortunate that it has to be Newcastle. Um, but it, it was going to be somebody. So, like I said, you wish them all uh, a quick recovery. Hope that they get that uh, eradicated at the club and uh, get back to normal as quickly as possible. Uh, I had a funny incident yesterday on the Twitter machine. Uh, I had a bit of a, a, a beef with Barry Glendennan, a uh, fellow countryman of mine from Burr in County Offaly. So he's from the most boring town in the most boring county in Ireland, and apologies to anyone from Offaly, but you know it's true. Um, Mr. Glendon was making what he called a compelling argument uh, regarding Liverpool's injury issues, and he had stated that Naby Keita had played, you know, two games for his country, and this was his third game in 11 days, and, you know, so there was no, it was just a freak injury. Uh, he ignored that Keita hadn't played for Liverpool in seven weeks, hadn't played at all in the five weeks that preceded the international break, and had then been forced to play 95 minutes in both games. He said that James Milner getting hurt uh, in his third game in eight days it wasn't a lot to ask of him. He'd barely played before. Uh, I think he said these are professional footballers, not larger swilling louts or something to that regard. Um, the reason James Miller got hurt is because he hadn't played before. You see, the issue for Barry is that Barry is not a sports scientist. Barry doesn't want to learn about sports science. What Barry wants to do is he wants to be a clickbait merchant because he is from, obviously, The Guardian, but also TalkSport. And when you work for TalkSport, it is just one of the things you are required to do is be a clickbait merchant. So he sent out a tweet saying, uh, that Chelsea and City, um, he said, he, what he said was, Chelsea and City play the same games, but don't have any injuries. So to me, reading that, that is framed in the past tense. That is saying, Chelsea and City have played the same games, Liverpool, they haven't had any injuries. So I gave him City's injury list over the season so far. He then came back and said, I didn't say they hadn't had any injuries. You didn't explicitly say it, but it is what you implied. Uh, you didn't say they had no injuries now, which is what he then tried to claim he meant. But if he'd meant that, he would have just said they had no injuries now. And it's pointless to suggest that just because they have no injuries now doesn't mean they haven't had injuries and their season hasn't been massively affected by those injuries. The reason Manchester City are sitting in mid-table after nine games of their season is largely down to the injuries that they've had. But you see, that didn't work for Barry. He also ignored the massive injury list at Manchester United, the big injury list at Arsenal, the injury list at Spurs, and the injury list at pretty much every other Premier League club. There is a handful of Premier League clubs that don't have um, 
a multitude of injuries. Chelsea have been very, very lucky this season, but Chelsea have a very big squad. So Chelsea can afford to rotate. Chelsea have 50, 60 million pound players sitting on the bench. So Chelsea can always play a strong 11. Some clubs can't. Some clubs, the drop off from their first team to after that is, is massive. Like, Arsenal have seven injuries at the moment. Villa have eight. Now, admittedly, a couple of them are from last season. Brighton have eight. Burnley have six. Palace have five. Leeds have six. Leicester have five. Liverpool currently have 11. Manchester United have eight. Newcastle have eight. Now, admittedly, most of them, I think, are... And that's actually not counting their COVID. There's one COVID in that. So it's it's probably more like 15 at the minute. Um, but Barry didn't want to listen to any of this. Barry wanted to um, put forward his uninformed argument and then basically his thin skin meant that whenever anybody questioned him, he had to have a little tantrum. Uh, and it's a shame because I, I did used to like Barry Glendon and I thought he was quite funny, that he was quite informed. A little bit of a troll, obviously, but that's, you know, it's part of his shtick. Um, I'm not sure what his issue with Jurgen Klopp is. I know he's always had a dislike for Liverpool. Maybe it's because he's a Sunderland fan and doesn't really have anything to cheer about in that regard. Again, maybe it's because he's from Offaly, doesn't have a whole lot to cheer about in that regard. But he's always had a little bit of a an issue with Liverpool. And um, I, I felt like I had to put him straight. So I, I invited him to speak to Simon Brundish, who's one of the top sports scientists in the, in the country, who's done extensive work on Anfield Index with regards to chronic load and how you build that up in players and what the red zone means. And Barry just chose to ignore all of this and focus in on the fact that he didn't say City had had no injuries. But Barry, you did frame it that way and you know you did. Um, What I wanted to do today, other than talk about Barry Glendon, is... Last week, I obviously went through the worst Premier League signings uh, for each Premier League club, uh, the worst signing they'd made while in the Premier League. And this week, I thought I'd go through the best signing made by each Premier League club while in the Premier League. So, uh, Arsenal, True Wolves, all 20 teams. Admittedly, I've had to cheat with one. Well, not cheat, but kind of cheat. And with others, there just weren't huge amounts of options. There weren't massive courses of options for certain clubs because they haven't been in the Premier League a whole lot of time. And um, the years that they have been in the club, they, uh, in the in the Premier League, they, you know, made some good signings and some bad ones. So with Arsenal, I think it has to be Thierry only. I will gladly accept arguments for Patrick Vieira, for Dennis Burkamp, for Saul Campbell, you know, Cesc Fabregas, you could argue. I know he was signed into the academy, but he was he was a player they signed, they paid money for. But I think it has to be Henri, because I think Henri is the greatest player the Premier League has had. I think his his body of work in the Premier League with Arsenal from 99 to 2007 is unlike anything we've ever seen. He was the best player in the league for six years, maybe five, six years in a row. He was just the best player in the league. He was arguably top two or three in the world. And his goal record, his creativity... The fact that he managed 20 goals and 20 assists in a season. It's just its incredible what he did. Obviously part of uh, two league winning teams with Arsenal. Very unfortunate not to win a Champions League as well. Obviously the early red card in that uh, 2006 final really hampered them. But just a tremendous player who... I think as a neutral, whenever Arsenal were playing, you tuned in to watch Thierry Henry. And the the link up with him and Burkamp was just sensational. I mean, 
I don't know that there's been a, a better strike pairing in, in Premier League history just from an aesthetically pleasing point of view. Two ridiculously gifted players who linked perfectly together. Burkamp, of course, had been brilliant previously with Ian Wright and took that to a different level uh, when he played with Henri. But Henri was just, he was different class. He was sensational. And I, I, I can't imagine there's anybody who doesn't look back on the Thierry Henry era in the Premier League and smile knowing how good he was and how much enjoyment he gave them regardless of who they supported. I think even as a Manchester United fan, you know, or a Spurs fan, you have to, you know, you have to admit that guy got you interested. That was a guy you tuned in to watch every single week. As I said, if your belief is that it's Burkamp or it's Vieira, I, I absolutely have no gripe with that. I think they're both incredible, as it's Saul Campbell as well. Like, what a centre-half. What an incredible centre-half Saul Campbell was. Um, Spurs fans will not agree with that. But, you know, if you get them in, in, in a... In a quiet moment, they will agree that Saul Campbell is one of the, the best centre-backs that English football has ever seen. Um, so, yeah, so for Arsenal, it's Thierry Henry. Uh, for Villa, I've gone with Gareth Southgate. And again, I, I don't think a lot of people will agree with this one, but I think if you look at his body of work at Villa, um, signed for £2.5 million from from Palace as a midfielder, switches to centre-back, has six great years at Villa, becomes a regular for England as a centre-back, plays a key role in that Euro 96 team as that middle one in the in the, the back four, or you know sometimes he played in the left of it. Back three, I should say. Um, Southgate was just, he was brilliant for them. And then they sold him at 31 when he was, you know, starting to edge towards the end of his prime for a £4 million profit. So, you know, it's the perfect move for Villa. Villa have had, obviously, a whole bunch of great players over their time in the Premier League. You think back to likes of Paul, McGra- Paul McGrath, Dwight York. But they, unfortunately, they were signed before the Premier League era, so they uh, they don't they don't count for this. Um, they've had a lot of good players. Like You could include Garrett Barry, who they, they signed from Brighton as an academy player. You could absolutely include him. And if that was your pick, a hundred percent, I'd be on board with it. Um, you could go with Ashley Young, signed from Watford, tremendous player for Villa. Went on to United, won titles there. Now at Inter Milan. Uh, if you wanted to go for James Milner, uh, you could do that. But for me, Gareth Southgate he signed in that summer with um, Mark Draper, and wasn't Savo Milosevic was signed that summer as well. And um, just a very, very good player. Brian Little was the manager, as far as I can remember. And he he, he waxed lyrical about Draper, but it was it was Southgate that was the the real bargain of that summer. Two and a half million went on to make well over two hundred appearances, two hundred and forty three appearances for Villa, scoring eight goals. So you know. Not much of a goal scorer, but a, a tremendous player, great defender, read the game brilliantly. Um, big, big fan of, of Gareth Southgate as a player. Less so as a manager, but a big fan as a player. Uh, Burnley next, and they've obviously only been in the Premier League since 2016. So you're basically looking at any signings made since then. The one I'm going to go with is Nick Pope. Um Largely, they signed him on the cheap, and he is now, I think if they put him on the market, he'd be a 40 to 50 million pound goalkeeper right now. I think he's I think he's in the upper echelon in the Premier League. Uh, I think he's England's best goalkeeper. And I just think consistently he has he has done brilliantly for Burnley. It's very hard to look back at Nick Pope and pick out bad performances. Um so to me, I would say, um, I would say Nick Pope is the one because he's the one they'd make the most money on. The likes of James Tarkovsky were signed to the Championship, 
Um, Dwight McNeil came through the academy. I don't really know that you'd look at anyone else in that squad and say they've got the potential to go and maybe play for a top six club. I, I think Pope does. And um, we've already seen him linked with a, with a number of top clubs. So, yeah, I'll go Nick Pope. Um, it is slim pickings with Burnley, obviously, because they don't buy a, a lot of players. Um, and obviously, they've only been in the Premier League the four years. It's a similar story for Brighton. Only in the Premier League a couple of years. Uh, many of their better players, like the likes of Lewis Dunk, came up with them. Um, I'm going to go with Tariq Lamptey. And I know he's only been at the club less than a year. I know he's played less than 30 games for the club. But consider, the number one, the profit they would make on him if they sold him this January. They bought him for... In and around three million, they'd easily get thirty this this January if they sold him. He's one of the most exciting young players in the league. He's a player that top clubs are looking at, and for a club like Brighton, they don't get many players that top clubs get very interested in. Like Lewis Dunk has had some interest, but nothing ever materialised. You know that Tariq Lamptey is going to end up at a top club. If Manchester United made a decision that they were going to move to a back three and make um, Juan Bissaka a, a right-sided centre-back rather than a right-back and play Maguire in the middle and, and you know maybe Luke Shaw as the left-side centre-back and they needed a right wing-back, you know it would be Tariq Lamptey and Max Ahrens as the two names. They would be the two guys they'd focus in on. And Lamptey's probably the one they'd go for. Um, and I just don't think Brighton get players like that very often. Again, they have other good players. Neil Mopé is a good player. Um, Leandro Trossard is a good player. The I, I really like the defense, but I would say Tariq Lamptey is the one. It is largely down to how how few years they've spent in the Premier League. Um, but they've I mean they've signed some bad players. No, it's not that they're bad players, they've just worked out badly. A lot of the a lot of the more big money signings that they've made haven't worked out for them. So I think it's Lamptey. He's the one I'm gonna go with. Next up then is Chelsea. And obviously they've made a lot of great signings over the years. Didier Drogba immediately springs to mind. Michael Essien, Ricardo Carvalho, Ashley Cole, Peter Cech. But the one I think you have to go for, and you could go back before that to the likes of Hullet and Viali, Frank LeBuff, Marcel Desailly. I mean, Desailly was was actually someone I considered for this, but it has to be Frank Lampard. It just has to be Frank Lampard. Um, what he was able to do at Chelsea, 648 games, 211 goals, Five straight seasons of 20 or more goals, and the, it would have been six, but he ended up with 19 the year before he started that run. It probably would have been more, but he got hurt in the 2011-12, uh, sorry, the 2010-11 season, and only played uh, 32 games in all competitions. That's, you know, anywhere from 18 to 28 games less than he'd been playing in previous years. Um, you'd imagine he, he would have gotten himself to that 20-goal marker again. He was just remarkably consistent. Didn't have the technical ability of a Gerrard or a Scholes, but his ability to always be in the right place, his intelligence, the way he read the game, his goal-scoring instincts were just incredible. And, I mean, he showed flashes at West Ham. If you look back at, at the, the four seasons, he was a regular starter at West Ham, five goals, five goals, seven goals, and seven goals. So, he did show signs that he did have goals to his game. Goals to uh, to Chelsea, and it's you know five in the Premier League. And now I'm looking at Premier League numbers. He scored 10, 6, 14, and 9 in those four seasons at, at West Ham. But just Premier League-wise, then he goes 5, 6, 10, 13, 16, 11, 10, 12, 20, 22 goals in the Premier League for midfield is ridiculous. 10, 11, 15, and then 6 in that last season. That's just in the Premier League. This guy was scoring Champions League goals, scoring in the Cups. Just 
remarkable consistency by Frank Lampard over his time there. I think they paid 11 million for him, if I'm not mistaken. And he repaid that time and time again. Just, yeah, 11 million. Just incredible value for money. Um, and you look at the success that he had three league titles, four FA Cups, two league cups, a Champions League and Europa League. Just sensational. Absolutely sensational what Frank Lampard did for Chelsea. And in the era that has, is without question the golden era for Chelsea Football Club. Um, they, they've won titles since, of course, but you've never felt that they were as strong as they were in that period when the spine of the team was Czech, Terry and Carvalho, Lampard and Essien, and Drogba up front. That, they were just sensational. But for me, he's the, he's the best signing they've made ever. Let, let alone Premier League era, I would say ever. He's the best one they ever signed. Um, Crystal Palace have cheated a little bit. And have gone with Wilf Saha. Now, I know he obviously came through the academy there, but they did sell him and then buy him back. So I think he's allowed. Um, and he is, for me, he's the best Premier League era player that Palace have had. He's, since he came back, he has just been a one-man team. He has carried that team season after season. And admittedly, last season wasn't particularly good, but he is he has just been a tremendous player for them at the Premier League level. And it's unfortunate for him that his time at United didn't work out. Um but he is he is Crystal Palace. Look at them the last couple of weeks without him. Even though they've got good new players in, like Eberichi Easy, like Michi Bachuai, they've got other quality players, Andros Townsend, um, good players in midfield, good defenders, AU up front. It's Wilf Zaha who, who drives that bus. He is the, the best player at the club. He is the one that kind of defines that team. And it may be that he ends up staying there for his career. He's now 28. So you have to think that his peak value is probably past. They're not going to get the 50 to 60 million for him that they wanted two years ago. You know, maybe they'll accept less, but how much less? 30, 40? I think Zaha might be best off staying there and just being... Like, I mean, if he was to retire as the greatest player in Palace history, a player who dedicated the majority of his career to Crystal Palace. That would be that would be no bad thing at all. You look at his career, and he's played 387 games, and 370 of them are for Palace. Four for United, 13 for Cardiff on loan. There's no like, there's no shame in him staying there forever. And just being the biggest fish in a, in a smaller pond. He can become their greatest ever player. There's no question. Um, he might already be. He might already be that. He's certainly in the conversation. But I, I would like to see him stay there. I really would. I'd, I'd like to see Zaha stay there and just embrace being at Palace, being the man at Palace and, you know, helping the team improve. They're, they're, they're definitely moving into a new phase. Um with the likes of Easy, the likes of Batshuayi, and the likes of Nathan Ferguson and Tariq Mitchell. So why can't he be the catalyst for that team? Um, next up is Everton. And again, they've had a number of players who I think Everton fans would would include here. Tim Cahill, Duncan Ferguson most likely, um, though I, I, would, I would never include him. Uh, but who I'm going to include is Romelu Lukaku. Romelu Lukaku is my pick. Um, admittedly, he had a bit of a disappointing first season there, but his second and third years were absolutely sensational. That that final year he was there, he was just unstoppable. Just absolutely unstoppable. Without meaning to disrespect Everton, Everton don't have a history of having world-class players during the Premier League era. 
but he was undeniably world class for his second two seasons, for his second and third season at Everton. Undeniably world class. He had everything to his game. He was just unstoppable. They paid twenty eight million for him. They sold him for seventy five, rising to ninety. I wouldn't imagine he ever hit the add ons. He didn't stay at United for for long enough, and they didn't didn't win a whole bunch. But I would say I would say Lukaku is the one. I think he has to be the one for the profit made, for the production, for the level he displayed. I think Romelu Lukaku is the best Premier League era signing that Everton have made. Um, Fulham next, and this one was quite easy to be totally honest. And again, it's it's not to disrespect Fulham, but in the Premier League era, how many world class players have Fulham had? Uh, I I count one. So Edwin Van der Sar is the pick. Admittedly. You know, he only spent four years there, but it's longer than Lukaku was at. Um, longer than Lukaku was at Everton. They signed him at 31 from Juve. He'd been a little bit of a disappointment at Juve, and obviously they'd bought Buffon. Um, Fulham pick him up, and I think a lot of people thought it was just, you know, a gamble. Paid seven million for him, which is quite a lot of money for a 31 year old. But he was just incredible for them. Absolutely incredible for them. Earned himself a move to United at the age of 35. And I think when United signed him, a lot of people thought, you know, he's a short-term thing. He played six years for United. Now, he did lose his, uh, lose his starting role towards the end. Well, sort of. Um, they had obviously brought in De Gea to uh, to replace him, but what a goalkeeper. What an incredible goalkeeper Edwin van der Sar was. And at Fulham, I think that's the best we saw him in the Premier League. Quite unusually stayed at Ajax till he was 29. So you, you might have thought the chance for an elite level career passed him by, but, you know, Juve, a couple of years, and then 10 years in the Premier League. Just tremendous individual, tremendous player. Helpful and win the, the Intertoto Cup. It's something. But yeah, for me, Van der Sar, and I, and I don't think it's close, if I'm being honest. I really don't think it's close. I don't think they've had another world-class player. And he was undeniably world-class when he was there. He was just brilliant. He'd been brilliant for Ajax. Like I say, a little bit of a disappointment at Juve, but it wasn't down to him. Um, and and they wanted Buffon. I mean, Buffon was the one, and Buffon for me is the greatest goalkeeper there's ever been. So, you know, regardless of who you had, if you could have got him, you buy him. Leeds United. I'm sticking with the goalkeeper position. Um, I'm going to go with Nigel Martin for Leeds. Now, again, admittedly they've had a, a whole bunch of quality players, but a lot of the better ones were signed kind of pre-Premier League era, the likes of Gary McAllister, the likes of Cantona, Gordon Strachan. You could go with Rio Ferdinand. You could go with Mark Viduca. Any of that really good team. Olivier Decour. Um, But Nigel Martin, for me, was just a brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper. Signed in two thousand, uh, sorry, in ninety six from Crystal Palace, and I, I just think this is a guy who twice broke the British transfer record for a goalkeeper. Palace bought him for a million pounds in eighty nine. It was the first time a goalkeeper had gone for that type of money. Um, they signed him from Bristol Rovers. He played there for seven years, was brilliant. They sell him for £2.25 to Leeds. He goes there, and again, he's just brilliant. Uh, He was the only player voted in the Leeds United's greatest ever team that wasn't from the Don Riviera in 2006, which will tell you exactly the regard that he's held in. Um, 
he fell out with with Terry Venables and Paul Robinson was coming through. So he went on to Everton and he was very good for Everton as well. Nigel Martin, to me, if it hadn't been for David Seaman, Nigel Martin would have had 100 England caps. He was he was a great goalkeeper. And that was an era of really good English goalkeepers. You had, obviously, Seaman, obviously, Martin. You had Tim Flowers, very, very good as well. Ian Walker was a good goalkeeper. David James was a great shot stopper, if not prone to calamitous errors at big moments. But Nigel Martin, and it would it would have been interesting to see that battle with Nigel Martin and, and Tim Flowers if it hadn't been for Seaman and just the fact that David Seaman was was just that little level above. And I think it was largely down to size. I think Seaman having Seaman was like six four, six five. Martin and Flowers were about six two. So he just had a more dominant presence, was a little bit better on crosses. As a shot stopper, he wasn't on the level of either of them. Martin and Flowers were, were the two best shot stoppers that I think I've seen in the Premier League from an English goalkeeper point of view. Um Leicester City. Angolo Kante. I just think it has to be. I just think it has to be Angolo Kante. I think he transformed them and made them a title winner. He was just ridiculous. Um, I mean, the the other two kind of big-time players from that title-winning team are Mares and Vardy, both of whom were signed when they were in the championship. So I think it has to be Kante. And even though he was only there for like such a short period of time that he won them the league, you know? So one season, one league title. But I I think without him, they don't get close to that league title. They, they signed him for about 5 million, sold him for over 30, and he won them a league title. They may never win another one. But they have won, and it's because of him. Vardy and, and Mares, of course, but he was the difference maker. They had those two the year before. They didn't have him. He went to Chelsea and won the league title the very next year. You know, so it, it tells you the impact he's able to have. Uh, and Golo Kante for me, it's, I don't even think it's close. I genuinely don't even think it's close. Now they have a bunch of really good players now that they've signed, but. They haven't done what Kante's done. Um, for Liverpool, I've gone with Luis Suarez. I know he didn't win the league. I know that this current team has a group of players that you could definitely make arguments for. Salah, Mane, Fabinho, Robertson, Van Dijk, Alisson Becker. You can make arguments for any of them. You could make an argument for Fernando Torres. You can make arguments for a bunch of players over the Premier League era. But to me, I said earlier, Thierry Henry is the greatest player the Premier League has seen. I think Luis Suarez is the best player the Premier League has seen. In in the season that he put forward, I think it's the best season any player has had in the Premier League. I don't think anyone's performed at the level he did in that 13-14 season. I would admit that obviously Ronaldo is a greater player, but I don't think Ronaldo was quite as good in any individual season as Suarez was in that season. Ronaldo had great seasons at United, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he ever had a season quite as good as that one. So Luis Suarez nearly carried Liverpool to a title single-handedly Raised the game of every player in that team. None of them have ever reached the level since. Um, Sterling is is getting... Sterling probably has now, in fairness. But it's, you know, five, six years later. Uh, Sturridge was never the same. I don't think Henderson ever hit that level again in terms of the impact game to game. Obviously had a really good four-month spell last season. uh, But I, I don't think he's ever hit that level. Coutinho... I mean, you could argue the season he left Liverpool, he was getting close there. But, I mean, look at the drop-off from 13-14 into 14-15 for all of those players. They all went from looking like world beaters to being good but seventh. You know, good but mid-table. Um, 
a team with as bad a defence as you could imagine. Johnson, Skirtle, Colo Toure, Flanagan. Not a team meant to win the league. Dragged the last little bit out of Steven Gerrard. Luis Suarez was just different class. And obviously when he left that summer, we saw the team fall apart um, without him. Team was team was basically given to him. Brendan Rodgers had arrived with this philosophy of patient build-up play and all this kind of you know mumbo jumbo that he 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 liked to spout and it didn't work. He turned the team over to Suarez around Christmas time in, in, in his first season. Brought in Coutinho and Sterling or uh, Sturridge rather, neither of whom he he actually wanted to sign. He wanted Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott is who he wants to sign instead of Sturridge. And um, basically changed the style of the team altogether. Went to a real blitzkrieg mentality, just tried to blow teams out of the water. Suarez flourished in the same way he had under Dogleash when he first arrived. When when Dogleash played Suarez up front with Maxi and Coity the side and Raul Morales in behind and then two sitting midfielders. And Suarez flourished and Liverpool were brilliant for a couple of months and then the next season they bring in Downing, bring in Henderson, bring in uh, Charlie Adam and try to make it work with Andy Carroll and it all falls apart it works with Suarez when you just play to his strengths and when Liverpool played to his strengths there was no better player in the league and uh, for me he's the best player they've signed in the Premier League era Manchester United up next. A um, little bit of Irish bias here. I'm going with Roy Keane. Uh, the greatest captain in in the Premier League era. The greatest winner in the Premier League era. The greatest leader. And I think the greatest midfielder of the Premier League era. Uh, people forget how good Roy Keane was pre-injury. But he could do everything. He wasn't just a guy that kind of sat deep in midfield and protected his defence. Keane would go box to box, he would score goals, create chances for others. He was just different level. The player that they bought from from Nottingham Forest um, was a remarkably gifted all-round player. Changed his game after the knee injury and obviously you know, was still an incredibly dominant force. Um, I think Roy Keane goes into, if you're making an all-time United 11, Roy Keane walks in. And gets the armband, and for me, he's the he's the one I would pick. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo, a hundred percent. There's a there's a strong argument. Wayne Rooney, there's a strong argument. Nemanja Vidić, you could go that way. You could look at De Gea, um, but for me, it, it's Roy Keane. Like I said, if I if I'm picking an all time Premier League team, it's Roy Keane. He, he's the starting point of my midfield. Um, and, and there's nobody close. Uh, for Manchester City, there was five options, really. There's the big four. Yaya, Company, Aguero, and Silva. And then there's Kevin De Bruyne. But I've gone with David Silva. Uh, and it is it is a little bit of you know personal preference. But there's very few players in the Premier League I've enjoyed watching more than David Silva. Um, I, I couldn't believe when City signed him. He'd been linked to Liverpool for years, but he gave City 10 incredible years of service and gave us all just incredible enjoyment watching him play. He's he's one of my favourite ever players, I have to say. He is one of my favourite ever players. He's playing really well now for uh, Real Sociedad and still still trucking on. But he'd been great for Valencia. He was just sensational for City. And um, and he's back playing great for, for Sociedad. Like, what a player. What an incredible player. Just a joy to watch in a football field. And like I say, there's, if anyone wanted to go for any of the four that I mentioned, absolutely fine. If there's others out there, fine. But for me, David Silva, there's very few things I've enjoyed more than, than watching David Silva play for Manchester City. The link-up play between him and Aguero, him and Sané, him and Sterling, 
him and Yaya before that. They're just different class. Absolutely different class. Newcastle United. Um, it has to be Alan Shearer, doesn't it? It really just has to be Alan Shearer. Uh, the ultimate goal machine signed for a world record fee of uh, £15 million would go on to give them a decade of service. Now, did suffer from some bad injuries, but what a player. 206 goals in 405 games. He, he would have scored, I'd argue he'd have scored 250 easy if he hadn't had a couple of seasons stolen from through injuries. Um, but, you know, at 34, he was still banging in 28 goals in a, in a season. You know, he, he hit 30 and just seemed to start getting better, 27, 25, 28. Then he tailed off at 19 and 14 in his last two years. But the all-time record Premier League goal scorer, um, not sure that record will be beaten. He was just different. At Blackburn, he was sensational, won a title with Blackburn. It's a shame he, he couldn't bring um, some sort of silverware to Newcastle. It really is. That's, that's the club I want to see. Outside of my own club, that is the club I want to see win any type of silverware. I don't care if it's the League Cup, uh, the Johnston's Paint Trophy. Give them the Fair Play Award. I don't care. I want to see Newcastle win something. That is a fan base that deserves deserve some success they're they're incredibly loyal they've been through the ringer it doesn't help having mike ashley um and alan shearer was just incredible and it's it like i say it's a shame he couldn't go on to win them something but i i would genuinely like to see newcastle win something but alan shearer for the turn um Sheffield United, again, slim pickings. I had quite the tough time picking the worst signing for them last time out. Uh, I've gone with Sander Berger. Um, I know he's only been there again less than a year, kind of like Lamptey, but I look at the level he plays at, the amount of top clubs that would want him, the kind of money they can get for him. They paid around $20 million. I would bet they'd double that quite easily. Uh, now, that's assuming they stay in the division. If they go down, they'll still make some profit, but it won't be close to that level. Um, yeah, for me, Sander Berger, I, I just think it's it's rare that they've had a top-class player in the Premier League, and in him, they have a top-class player. He's the only player that has stood out for me repeatedly this season in watching them play. While others around him, more experienced players... Um, more lauded players by certain as- certain areas of their fan base um, have shrunk and hidden. He has stepped up every single game. He has dominated games in midfield. And if his teammates played anywhere close to his level, they wouldn't be sitting on one point from 30. Um, moving on to Southampton. I've gone with Virgil van Dijk. And again, it's... It, They've had a bunch of great players there. There's no question. But, you know, I, lo- I looked at like Eil Berkovic, um, Ostenstad, Marion Parhars, and, you know, players from that era. And then through to more recent times, you know, Toby Alderville was there on loan, so I couldn't include him. I didn't want to include any loan players. Um, you know, Wanyama was really good. But I, I looked at Van Dyke and I thought, you bought him for 12 million, you sold him for 75. And he became the best centre back in the league while he was there, which is why Liverpool were so willing to pay the money that they paid for him. And I don't know that at any other point Southampton can look at it and say, well, we had the best player in the league in their position. Like they had great players, they had Shearer, obviously. They had Letizia, they had Flowers. Southampton have had great players over the years. It's just that I don't think they ever had anyone else who was the best player in their position at that time that they were at the club. Shearer didn't become the best striker until he left Southampton. Yeah, I think it's Virgil van Dijk. I just do. I think it's Virgil van Dijk. Um, For Spurs, I've gone with Gareth Bale. 
Um, I would accept arguments for a whole bunch of players like Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, I'll accept an argument for Luka Modric. But Garrett Bale, I mean, they signed him for $5 million as somewhat of a left-back. They converted him into a left-winger. He exploded. He would go on to win Footballer of the Year. He would go on to move to Real Madrid for a world record fee. You know, you can't ask much more. I think it's Garrett Bale. And he's I, I love that he's back there. I think it's a great way for um you know for his career to play out, having had a pretty awful time at Real, especially over the last couple of years. I know he won a, a bunch there. I know he won absolutely everything there is to win. But he was never really accepted by the fan base. They they thought they were getting Ronaldo again, and Garrett Bale just isn't isn't that. Um, but I think Garrett Bale at Spurs, especially the last three seasons he was there, I think he's the best signing they ever made. I think when you buy a player for five million and then sell him for ninety, that's pretty special. It's I did consider Coutinho for Liverpool for that reason. They signed him for eight, sold him for one forty three. So I did consider that, but I just don't think he ever reached the level that Suarez did. But Bale, like I say, he was he was footballer of the year. You know, and he and I would argue Suarez was better that year, and that if Suarez hadn't done the biting thing on Ivanovic, Suarez would have won player of the year. But I'm not going to argue against Bale. He scored twenty one goals in the league, twenty six in all competitions. It was just different class. So um yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Garrett Bale as the the best Spurs signing in the Premier League era. He actually won players player of the year twice. So, you know, whether he deserved it either time, I'm not sure, but he won players player of the year twice and football writers player of the year once. So, you know, I think it has to be Bale. Um for West Brom, as I said, I couldn't go with lone players, so I've gone with Ben Foster. Um, who I think is a really good goalkeeper. I just think Ben Foster is a really good goalkeeper. And he was great for for West Brom. Kept them in the division multiple years. Left, obviously, when they went down. Went to Watford and was, was really good there. I think he's been a very underrated goalkeeper for most of his career. It's a shame in so many ways that he didn't get the move to West Brom until he was 29. He kind of lost a large portion of his career being loaned out by Stoke to here, there and everywhere, then loaned out by United. And then he went to Birmingham, obviously had had a season there before they loaned him to West Brom after um, after they'd been, they'd been relegated. And, you know, it, it's a shame he didn't get to go somewhere earlier in his career because I do think he'd have an awful lot more than eight England caps. I mean, how does he only have eight England caps? It's not like he's played in an era of great England goalkeepers. For him to only have eight caps is just, is a shambles, really. Let me just see how many caps Rob Green has, because they've, they played large same time. Rob Green has 12 caps. Rob Green was never on the same level as Ben Foster. So, Remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Um, West Ham, Paolo Di Canio, it just has to be. I accept no argument for anybody else. None. It has to be Di Canio. The single most ridiculous man I've ever seen play football. Managed to get himself sent off one time because he disagreed with the decision regarding a throw-in. But such a sensational player and at his best just a joy to watch carried that team for a couple of years um harry redknapp said he was a bit of a, a pain in the backside to manage and you can imagine he would have been but to come back as he did after what happened at sheffield wednesday i'd seen him at celtic and he was great at celtic he left obviously because he wanted to play in the premier league and earn some more money but Really good first season with Sheffield Wednesday. Then the incident happens. Gets his ban. Comes back from the ban at West Ham. And he just, he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant for them for four years. That last year he was injured quite a bit. But 
he was just brilliant. And I I just love the little quirks about him, like <laughs> Lampard misses the penalty and Paolo threatens to walk off because he should have taken the penalty. Uh, referees are, are allowing him to be kicked and he threatens to be to just walk off because he's had enough because he just can't be dealing with being kicked by people. Doesn't feel that the referees are protecting him enough. Just such an incredibly insane man, but what a footballer. What an incredible footballer. Um, and last but not least is Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, Wanderers? Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, and I'm going with Raul Jimenez because I, I think Ruben Neves is the best player they've had that's played for them in the Premier League, but they signed him while still in the Championship. So it came down to Jimenez or Adama Traore, and I've gone for Jimenez, who I think is one of the best strikers in, in, in the Premier League. I think he could play for pretty much anybody. Um, obviously had the, the horrific injury, uh, and we hope that he recovers very, very quickly. But for me, Raul Jimenez is, is the best player Wolves have signed while a Premier League club. And that is that. That is all 20 teams wrapped up. Um, we'll wrap up with some gossip. Uh, there's a little bit to cover. Uh, Manchester United, Tottenham and Chelsea are monitoring Brighton's English, English defender Ben White. He'd make a lot of sense for United. Him and Maguire would be quite a nice partnership. So that, that's one I'd be interested in seeing. Um, Barcelona are tracking Arsenal defender Schroeder Mustafi and Chelsea's fellow German Antonio Rudiger. Rudiger is by far the better defender of the two. Neither are good enough for Barcelona. The only reason I think they're lucky, they would look at Mustafi is that he's at a contract next summer, so they get him on the cheap. He also did do quite well when he was at Valencia, though he did have Otamendi holding his hand. Funny how both of them came to England and were dreadful. Um, I, I, I don't believe they have any interest in Mustafi, and if they do, whoever has that interest should be fired. Arsenal and Tottenham are among several clubs interested in Red Bull Salzburg midfielder Dominic Saibalaya, with RB Leipzig, AC Milan and Atletico Madrid also keen on the Hungarian international. I'd love to see him go to Atleti because I think the idea of him and Joe Felix uh, developing together is is fantastic and the two brilliant young players. Uh, there's there's other clubs definitely interested. He'll have offers from everywhere. He will have offers from absolutely everywhere. He is a remarkably good footballer. And anybody who signs him is going to get a great player for the long term. They're going to get someone that I think is nailed on to become pretty close to world class, if not world class. Um, Spurs remain interested in Milan Skriniar despite talks between the two clubs breaking down in the summer. That it's understandable. He would he would fit Spurs very very well. Uh, they could definitely do with some. Fresh blooded centre back, even though you know they're, they're, they're top of the league. I, I, Eric Dyer just, I would, I would always say no to Eric Dyer as a starter if I want to win the league. Davinson hasn't quite developed the way they have, but I they hoped he would have. But I do think he's going to be a big part of their future. Tanganga is obviously very good. Toby is past his best, still very good, but injuries and age you'd be looking for a long-term replacement uh the real madrid board will now wait to see how the team reacts before any making any decisions on the future of zinedine zidane after real madrid's 2-0 defeat in the champions league to Shakhtar Donetsk. uh just a quick side note somebody is going to buy tete and get themselves an absolute star he is going to be very very special um yeah, it makes sense that, that Real will look to, to move on from Zidane in the next couple of weeks if the team doesn't react. You know, Real is, what have you done for me now? They don't care that he won them three Champions Leagues. They don't care that having left, he came back to help them when they needed him. They only care about what ha- what's happening right now. Again, they won the league last year. But that doesn't matter to them. Um, Real only care about the now and it... I suppose you can't really argue with it given the success, but it's not the way I'd like to see my club run. Um, they're in real danger of um, of not going through in their Champions League group. They play uh, Mönchengladbach next, and they need to win that game. Gladbach are top of that group. Gladbach know a draw will take them through. Shakhtar play... Um, Inter 
in the final game into our bottom of the group. And if Shakhtar were to get a draw, it would put them through over Rail because they've beaten Rail twice. And um, yeah, uh, crazy. It would be crazy for Rail to go out. But um, it's what they do. It, it's what they do. They, they're just up and down. They have always have been. They go through phases of being the dominant team in Europe. Then they disappear for a couple of years. Think back to, you know, a poor, poor spell in the 80s, poor spell in the 90s. They always bounce back, though. It's never more than a couple of years. So they'll be back at the very, the very, very top within two years. That's just what they do. They just buy their way back to the top. Uh, Manchester United, Manchester City and Chelsea will compete to sign Borussia Mönchengladbach's midfielder, Dennis Sicaria. Dennis Sicaria is very, very good. I don't think he's suited to how City play. I could see him working at Chelsea, though he's not really what they need. They need someone who's a sitting, holding midfielder. Um, I could see him working at United if they sold Pogba. I don't think he'd work with Pogba. Barcelona midfielder Ricky Puig will be allowed to go on loan in January, and reports in Spain suggest he has been offered two Leeds, RB Leipzig, and Monaco. He'd be a nice signing for Leeds. He really will be a nice signing fleet. But he, he'll he'll do well wherever he goes. He's a very, very good player. Juventus are preparing a double bid for Chelsea's Italian left-back Emerson Palmieri and French forward Olivier Giroud. They love to have an old striker there. Absolutely love to have an old striker. And they are badly in need. Though I would suggest that they could do better than Emerson Palmieri. Barcelona have singled out Atletico Madrid and, Bar- and Brazil defender Philippe Augusto as a replacement for Gerard Piquet. Piquet is out for the season now. Um, I wouldn't be signing Felipe. No, I, I just would not do that. Um, however, sports say that Barca will not make any decisions until the new president is elected on the 24th of January, which will only give them a week to seal any transfers. But it makes sense. Arsenal are yet to make a bid for Emi Buendia, but the Argentine is among their January transfer options. They need creativity. Emi Buendia is very, very creative. He won't offer much in terms of goal scoring, but he will. Chances. It's just a shame they have no one at the club that could do that for them. You know, someone like Imezid Osul might be a nice fit there. Uh, restrictions on Premier League and EFL clubs appointing foreign managers are to come in from January and would have prevented Manchester United appointing Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. This is Brexit. This is the nonsense that we'll be dealing with. Um, I, I don't think it would have affected Ollie because as far as I know Ollie has UK citizenship having lived in the UK for years as a player so I don't think that's true but there are going to be restrictions and rules Ajax uh, and Cameroon goalkeeper Andre Onana still hopes to secure a move to the Premier League after Tottenham and Chelsea cooled their interest he's a very good goalkeeper he made an absolute howler last season I'm uh, sorry, last last night against Liverpool. But aside from that, he actually played really well and made a couple of great saves. Um, French defender Jean-Claire Tadibo has is set to return to Barca after failing to make a single appearance during a loan spell at Benfica. Benfica don't really want young players. So it was it was a silly move for him in the first place. They bought in Vertonghen. They had Ferro. At the time they had Ruben Diaz, they let him go. They brought in Otamendi. He, he, someone needs to just take him and play him. Um, I, I would take him at Liverpool, given the the need for centre backs. I think you could bring him in and develop him long term. Can also play as a holding midfielder. You wouldn't want him as your immediate starter, but again, I I, I do like him. I think he's a good player. I think he's someone that could help a number of Premier League teams, um, including this team, uh, Arsenal. Former Arsenal midfielder Patrick Vieira, uh, who's manager of Nice, wants to bring in the Gunners, uh, French under 20 international William Saliba on loan. Would make sense. He needs to go somewhere and play. Sign him and Tadebo. That's what you should do, Mr. Vieira. Sign him and Tadebo. Put put them side by side or put Tadebo in midfield and turn him into the modern day U. Um, Yeah, I mean, Saliba needs to go somewhere and play. He just does. He can't be sitting in Arsenal kicking his heels. It's uh, it's a silly situation for a player of that talent and who costs that much money. And that's it. That is all the gossip for today. That is our show. Thank you, as always, to Fox Hunt 
for our title music. Thank you to EPL Index and um, Liberty Shield for their continued support. Thank you to Guy Drinkle for his excellent work on this podcast. Thank you to you, the listener, because without you, there wouldn't be no podcast. There would be no point. Uh, Thanks for the support over the last few months. It has been massively appreciated. Do tell a friend. uh, Spread the word. You know, let people know. That's it. That's it. Talk talk to you tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.